Well, the 2021 NCAA tournament is here, and we have got your Big 12 preview. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is the site. And as we do each and every time this week, we'll welcome on our guy, Matthew Postens, here as we get you set for the first NCAA tournament in two years. It feels weird to say, uh, say it like that, but here we are. Matthew, welcome on in. Always good to have you on the show. And uh, let's just start with these games in order. We'll do it that way. It seems like the best way to go about it here and talk about every Big 12 game over the next 20 minutes or so. Um, let's look at Texas Tech taking on Utah State. That's the first Big 12 game. It's a 1245 Central time tip-off on Friday. What do you look at this game and say to yourself, all right, Tech's there as a six seed. Uh, maybe could have gotten a little bit better if things had gone better at the end of the season. What are we looking at here with this Red Raiders squad right now as they go to take on Utah State? Well, I think the big thing for them from a scouting standpoint as I look at Utah State is they're going to have to deal with a legit seven-footer in Nemeas Cueta, uh, who's actually one of the best shot blockers in college basketball. He's averaging a double-double. Uh, he had a great Mountain West tournament. I think he had four or five blocked shots per game in the Mountain West tournament. So um, he was sending shots back the way Caleb Boom is sending shot back, shots back in the Big 12 tournament. So Tech doesn't really have a single player that can really match up with him. You know, Marcos Santos Silva is their, uh, is their starting forward. He's about two, three inches shorter. Uh, so they're going to have to use some combination of him, Tyreek Smith, uh, maybe a couple of other players that have size in their bench and, and try, try to maybe do some creative things defensively to make sure that he doesn't hurt them too much. Um, outside of that, you know, Utah State doesn't look like a team that's particularly imposing outside of Cueta. Uh, they have a couple of quad one wins. They beat San Diego State to, to win both of those games. They haven't played a high major team this year. Uh, they're coming in on a, a solid streak. Uh, in terms of uh, wins and losses coming into the tournament. But, um, you know, I thought this might be a, a bad matchup game for Texas Tech going in, and this is why you do the research. The matchup looks a little bit better for them, I think. As long as they're able to handle Quaita inside, I think they have a good chance of winning this game. Any truth to the rumors that the NCAA tournament uh, committee wanted to pit Matt Wells' old team against his current <laughs> team? Are you buying into that at all? No, I'm not buying into that at all. <laughs> uh, you know, We've already got a, an old Big 12 matchup in Oklahoma and Missouri. So, yeah, yeah, no. That may so, have exceeded their quota at this point. Yeah, I'm with you too. It's just funny how these coincidences work out in the NCAA tournament. Now, uh, when you look at that Utah State team, and just generally when you speak about size, uh, the way it sounds like Utah State is playing here is not typical to how most of not just college basketball, but, you know, any basketball at any level is being played today. Does that represent problems for Texas Tech? Is it like a football team playing a triple option team that you never see anymore? Is it kind of a, a slow it down, use the big man kind of game where in a one and done situation, it might actually be very unfavorable for a Texas Tech? It's possible. I think it, you know, I look at Utah State and I look at a team that does like to play with some pace, mm -hmm. uh, maybe not the pace of say a Baylor or a Texas, but you know, Texas Tech doesn't play with a lot of pace either. Uh, they, they're, they're not a plotting team, but they rely on their defense and they rely on possession and they rely on, you know, working the shot clock down into the, you know, 8, 10 second range uh, more often than not. So I don't think it really represents a, a big paradigm shift. Uh, the one thing that I will find interesting in watching this game is, 
know, when you're playing a seven footer, you know, many times teams will resort to a zone in some case to try and, you know, provide more defenders around that player. Tech doesn't play a lot of zone. In fact, I don't think they play any zone at all, except for maybe a little three quarters, uh, you know, zone just to, you know, keep the ball from coming up the floor too fast. So I think that'll, it'll be interesting to see if Tech will just play Santos Silva on him and, you know, tandem him with Tyreek Smith. Will they give Santos Silva some help inside, which might open up shooting opportunities for Utah State's guards? Or will it be a combination of maybe shifting the gears a little bit and playing a little more zone just to give their defenders a little bit of a break from having to try and, and hold this guy down? Because he, he's a legitimate seven-footer who can do things down low. Uh, he's got a solid mid-range game. Uh, he can give them some real problems. Yeah, uh, it's going to be very interesting. The The next game here for the Big 12 is a 2.30 tip-off time uh, between Baylor and Hartford. Uh, this game, you know, it's probably the game we'll talk about the least here on this show simply because it's a one sixteen matchup. I don't anticipate being Baylor uh, in the conversation with Virginia as the only number one seed to lose to a 16 seed. Any chance that Baylor ends up in a similar boat? I don't see it, honestly. Um, Hartford's had a good season. Uh, they actually got out of the America West, I think, as the number four seed in their conference tournament. Uh, if you're watching for a particular player in that game for Hartford, watch Austin Williams. He's their uh, leading scorer at 13.7 points a game. Uh, he, he's having the best collegiate season of his career. But they lost one of their best players in December, a kid named Moses Flowers, who's averaging double figures and scoring to a hip injury. Had surgery, not expected back this year. Uh, the Hawks kept finding ways to win, but in terms of them going into the tournament and playing Baylor, you know, I think the thing Baylor wants to do is they kind of want to wash that taste of that loss to Oklahoma State out of their mouths, so to speak, from the semifinals of the Big 12 tournament. Uh, they want to, you know, look sharp, get a lead early, maintain it, and make sure that nobody on their roster gets hurt because this is a team that has the ability to get into the second weekend of the tournament, the ability to get into the Final Four. And an injury at this point in the season is, you know, can really be catastrophic. You think about the, um, you know, the injury that Kenyon Martin had in the Cincinnati days yeah. when Bob Huggins was there. That was an injury to a player for a team that was in the top five in the country. They were expected to be a number one or a number two seed. They could have gotten back to the final four. And I think they ended up losing in the first weekend of that tournament. So, you know, major injuries like that can be a big deal in a, you know, three-week sprint like this. So for Baylor, it's about getting back to playing the kind of sharp basketball we're used to seeing them play and making sure everybody stays healthy. Yeah, I don't think it, anybody in Sikkim Nation needs to be on upset alert. I, I, I agree. Uh, but what you want to see, I think, is a good performance because, boy, that uh, that game likely against UNC, I mean <laughs> – that is just not the draw that you want right now, Matthew, if you're a one seed trying to get out of the opening weekend, right? I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk more about that, but I, I just feel like that has got potential trouble written all over it based on how UNC has been playing. Yeah, it, it is a troublesome matchup. And of course, they got to play Wisconsin first and get past the Badgers. But, yeah. you know, North Carolina, I don't care how good or how not good they are. If they're in the tournament, they're going to be a team you're going to have to figure out a way to deal with. And you know, I agree with you. I think that's probably Baylor's likely second round opponent. And we can talk a little bit more about that as we get closer to that game. But mm -hmm. um, playing sharp against Hartford and making sure this game isn't, you know, close in any real sense in the second half, I think is actually pretty important for Baylor going into that second round. 
Totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, next game on the list here, Matthew, Oklahoma state taking on Liberty. That's a four thirteen matchup. We talked earlier this week. I thought the Cowboys got, got hosed as a four seed, especially as the lowest four seed. I saw that. I was just stunned by that. Uh, Liberty. I mean, what do they bring to the table here? They've got the football program turned around It's the basketball mm-hmm. program also turned around. Yeah, the basketball program's in really good shape there. They've actually won the Atlantic Sun Conference uh, championship three years in a row. Of course, they didn't get to go to the NCAA tournament last year, but they went two years ago uh, and got some tournament experience that way. Uh, Darius McGee was the Atlantic Sun Player of the Year, you know, averages 15.6 points a game. And uh, there's a college insider mid-major poll, in addition to the AP Top 25, where they rank the best mid-major teams in the country. Uh, Liberty was actually number six in their final poll. So they consider the Flames to be one of the best mid-major teams in the country. Um, they've got a lot of experience. A lot of the players that were a part of their tournament team two years ago are still with the roster. Uh, so they go in with a considerable amount of momentum uh, as they face Oklahoma State on Friday. So, Matthew, you know, that's, that's going to be really interesting. And then we have the fourth game of the day on Friday and that is West Virginia and Moorhead State, a 3-14 matchup. It's the second-to-last game of the night uh, for day one of the NCAA tournament, tipping off at 8.50 Central time. When when you look at these two teams, the Mountaineers, as a three-seed, uh, seem warranted, seem fair, going up against Moorhead State. What is the storyline here to keep an eye on? Well, you know, I wrote a piece earlier in the week about the teams that I felt like had the easiest paths to the sweet 16 and West Virginia was my number two team. I wrote that before I really got a chance to dig into more head state. And I still think West Virginia has a good road to get to the second week of the tournament, but they're going to have to contend with a freshman named Johnny broom, uh, six foot 10 forward from Moorhead state out of plant city, Florida, who has been averaging 14 points and nine, re- nine rebounds a game. He has won basically every Ohio Valley conference award you can think of from freshman of the year to MVP to freshman of the week, nine times. I mean, this guy has come in and completely, you know, changed the face of a program that hadn't been to the NCAA tournament in quite some time. So that's the guy the Mountaineers are going to have to focus on. And I'm sure all week Bob Huggins has been talking about defense because that's kind of the deficiency with this team right now. They've, you know, since they came back from their COVID pause, they were nine and five, which is a good record when you consider how good the Big 12 is. But they've also lost three of their last five games and defense has been kind of the failing in those three losses. I don't think it's time for West Virginia to panic necessarily, but they need to play better defense overall. They're going to need Derek Culver to stay out of foul trouble. And this would be a really good time for guard Sean McNeil to get hot from the three-point line because when he gets really hot in games, he's almost impossible to slow down. And he gives the Mountaineers a, a jump shot dynamic. They don't always get from Miles McBride or Taz Sherman. Yeah, I, I, I am very intrigued by that one. Uh, probably more so than, than you might think looking at the paper, but some of what you just said uh, absolutely rings true. Going to look at the uh, Saturday games here in a second, but first want to make sure that we thank uh, mybookie.com. And right now they've got a great bracket challenge underway where for $10 at mybookie.com or mybookie.ag, you can get in uh, $10, get you into their $100,000 NCAA tournament bracket challenge. 
and it is uh, $25,000 for first place. You can also get into the $10,000 bracket challenge for just one buck and then win 2,500 bucks in first place. They pay out up to 750 people in these things. And also you get a nice little bonus when you sign up at mybookie.ag with our promo code. It's big 12. That is big one, two sign up now at mybookie.ag. And before the tournament starts, get into the $10 bracket challenge. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And it is right around the corner. Uh, Matthew, let's get to these Saturday games here. And let's start off with Kansas and Eastern Washington. Looking at this game, we know the Jayhawks, you know, not sure yet, could be without a couple of players. What does that mean for this matchup? This is suddenly becoming, I think, the most intriguing game of the seven Big 12 games in the tournament. Because like you said, we we don't know for certain if David McCormick will be with the team. He, he didn't travel with them to Indianapolis. We also know that Jalen Wilson didn't travel with the team to Indianapolis, and it's unclear what his status is for Saturday's game. Uh, there are reports that he won't play in this game, which I can only assume is because of COVID. We know that a third Kansas player tested positive at the tournament. I don't want to make assumptions, but the fact that Wilson isn't there kind of leads me to believe that he's that third player. So you kind of have to approach this from the standpoint of how many starters will Kansas be down in this game? If it's just one, I think they'll probably be able to pull out a win. If it's two, I think they've got problems because on paper, Eastern Washington doesn't look that imposing, but you dig in and they've got a player named Tanner Groves, who was the big sky player of the year. Uh, he, they have five different players that are averaging double figures. Uh, they, are, they were 15 and four to end the season. Uh, they played three high major teams all in the Pac-12 and uh, they played them pretty well. So if I'm, if I'm Kansas, even if I'm down one starter or two starter, I need guys like Ochai Agbaji, who had a great game uh, in the one game they played the Big 12 tournament, or Christian Brown to really come up huge in this game. Uh, if they don't have McCormick and Wilson, you know, Mitch Lightfoot will slide into the starting lineup, perhaps Bryce Williams too, and they're going to have to be a really perimeter-based team and find whatever they can to defend players like Tanner Groves inside. If both McCormick and Wilson don't play on sat on Sunday or yeah, Sunday, no Saturday, gosh, the whole schedule is just throwing me off. This yeah, year. it is. Hey, <laughs> when you got this Friday start, it's very weird. Yeah. It's so if both of them don't play Saturday, I think there's actually a, a decent chance Eastern Washington could win this game. If McCormick and or Wilson are able to play, I think Kansas is going to, is going to be able to pull it out, but we're not going to know probably until Friday. Uh, how this looks. So some people may have their brackets already locked in without knowing if McCormick and or Wilson will play on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, that's, that makes it very interesting for those of us picking brackets and trying to do it at the last minute before games tip off on Friday. So we go down this thing, Matthew. I mean, we've got now an old big 12 football matchup that we talked about big 12, anything matchup for that matter, Oklahoma, Missouri, an eight, nine uh, game. This is this is fascinating to me, Matthew, because these are two teams who at one point were both ranked in the top 10 in the country. And now here they are in an eight, nine matchup trying to take on Gonzaga in the second round. It's a great story, not just because of the old Big 12 uh, ties, but because they're two teams who have really just fallen off the map here over the last month. So who comes out on top? Yeah, it's it's a toss up game to me, you know, digging into Missouri. They finished up the season five and five. They, um, you know, they had 
they lost to Arkansas twice. They lost to Ole Miss twice. Uh, you know, but at the same time, they're the team that handed Alabama uh, an upset win or an upset loss in February. So, you know, you look at the Tigers and you've got to pay attention to Drew Smith. He's one of the best defensive players OU will probably face this year. He's their leading scorer. He was on the all-defensive team uh, for the SEC. You're also going to want to watch Jeremiah Tillman uh, forward for the Tigers. When Mizzou lost three games in a row earlier this year in conference play, they did it without Tillman, who was out for uh, his grandmother's funeral. Uh, also got to remember that Mizzou had to score 102 points to beat TCU earlier this year in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So they know how to score points, but there are times when their defense can become a little bit suspect. So if I'm OU, I've lost, I, I believe it's five of the last six games uh, as they've fallen out of the top 25. I need Austin Reeves to have a big game. I need Brady Manick to have a big game. I need somebody like Emoja Gibson to really get hot from the three-point line. This game could get very high scoring very fast. And I think if it does, I think that may, you know, favor Mizzou over OU. So Oklahoma's defense is going to have to have a good game in this one for them to win. I'm going to take Oklahoma, but, you know, honestly, this is a game that really could go either way. And, of course, the winner gets Gonzaga. So, I mean, you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, the winner gets a win, but yeah, they probably end up getting a loss in the second round. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's what I think is is super interesting about this, where you know, if you win the game, you feel good about it, then you get Gonzaga. So how good should you feel about it? And what does that mean then moving forward? Uh the last game here, and then I want to just pick your brain on the most likely upset. But let's get to this one here. We got a couple minutes left. Texas Abilene Christian. A anything of intrigue there after the Longhorns win the Big 12 tournament? Well, you know, what's interesting about Abilene Christian is they've won 15 of their last 17 games. Uh, they've okay. been one of the dominant teams in the Southland Conference. They won the tournament title. Uh, they, like Utah State, they have a seven-footer in Colton Cole, uh, but he's a very efficient player and actually plays less than 20 minutes a game. The player you're going to want to watch in this game is actually Joe Pleasant, uh, their forward, who's actually out of Overland Park, Kansas, and frankly, the Jayhawks could use him right now uh, as opposed <laughs> to him being out in Abilene, Texas. Uh, he's a solid forward who's a good scorer, a good rebounder, and he's kind of the heartbeat of this team uh, for Abilene Christian. They went to the tournament a couple years ago. Some of those players are left over, so they have some tournament experience. I, I think they're a little bit better than they're, you know, than they than you would suggest they would be on paper. But for Texas, they're they're in such a rhythm right now, kind of like Oklahoma State. We talk about how hot Oklahoma State is. Texas is just as hot when you look at their last eight, nine, 10 games and how many they've won and how well they've played, they should win this game. You know, watch the guards, Courtney Raby, Matt Coleman, the third, Andrew Jones, even Jace Febris off the bench. Um, they're the, going to be the ones that I think will set the pace in this game. And if there's anything that's liable to overwhelm ACU, it's going to be the guard play. Hmm. All right, Matthew, we got a, a minute or so left here. I want to get your thoughts on which one of these big 12 teams is most likely to be upset in this first game. I'll I'll give you mine. And once again, to run down the list, we've got Texas Tech, Utah State. We've got Oklahoma State Liberty. We've got Baylor, Hartford, West Virginia, Moorhead State. We've got uh, Kansas, Eastern Washington, uh, throwing Oklahoma, Missouri, and then Texas, Abilene Christian. I I'm going to give you a wild card here, Matthew. And I know this isn't is is probably not going to be popular, but anytime you get an Oklahoma State team that is just red hot. Very young team. A lot of people are going to pick them to get to a sweet 16 or an elite eight. 
but they're young. These guys have never been here. Uh, some downtime may actually hurt them. First time in an environment like this. I, I don't know that it just feels like the amount of people riding Oklahoma state right now, I typically will fade them in a situation like that. Is that crazy? And then who would be your most likely upset? I don't know if it's crazy, but I, I think what's interesting about this season is that the environment they'll be in, in Indianapolis is pretty much the same environment they've been in all season, small mm-hmm. crowds, you know, not a lot of people there, not a lot of crowd noise. Um, so the things that you would kind of think that might rattle a team at a normal first or second round game won't necessarily be there. Fair. Uh, I, th- I think what's interesting about Oklahoma state is because Cade Cunningham has treated these players as, you know, quote unquote equals all season. And mm-hmm. when I say equals, I mean, he's made a point of relying on them throughout the season, the shots that they weren't making in January and early February, the plays they weren't making, they're making all of those now. So that's been extremely helpful to him and to that team as a whole, as they go into the NCAA tournament, you know, Liberty is going to go in and focus everything they have on Cade Cunningham. If guys like Caleb Boone and Rondell Walker and uh, Matthew Alexander Moncrief all start heating up, Liberty won't be able to do that. I actually think Oklahoma state's going to win that game for that reason. But my pick is Texas tech. I, they, they have these fits where they don't shoot and score well. Yeah, they played Abilene Christian earlier this year and won, but they shot like 28% from the floor. And I think that could end up being a real problem against Utah State, which is a good shooting team from the perimeter. Uh, if Tech doesn't score 70 points in that game, you would think it would usually favor them. But because the Aggies have that seven-footer inside, I think it might actually work against them. All right. Well, it is here. The NCAA tournament, March Madness, the big dance, whatever you want to call it, whatever your preferred uh, name is for it. It's here. It's being played for the first time in two years. He's Matthew Postens, heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. Matthew, great to have you on, my friend. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Pete. And don't forget about our friends at mybookie.ag or mybookie.com. Right now, they've got the $100,000 bracket challenge. Get in for just 10 bucks at mybookie.com and also get a nice sign-up bonus using our promo code BIG12 right ahead of the NCAA tournament. We're looking forward to the first round, and we will be with you guys as well uh, after the first round games are in the books right here on heartlandcollegesports.com.